Dear friend, I just had a conversation with Katarina Yasko and Vitas Busianas, and they just arrived in Lithuania, escaping amid the chaos in the Ukraine. They share their vision. They share what it feels like to be under attack by a malign power that lies about them and what's going on in their country and is killing their people. But the hope and the resistance and courage of the Ukrainian people and their hope and concern and vision for the future also. I think you're going to be deeply moved by this as I was. Welcome to Deep Transformation, self, society, spirit, life enhancing, paradigm rattling conversations with cutting edge thinkers, contemplatives and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. Welcome everyone to a very special chapter of Deep Transformation. And uh, Roger couldn't be here today. He is on a month-long retreat, but I am. And today we have Katarina Envidas, is that how we say your name? Yes. Yes. And they are Ukrainian, and they just got out of Ukraine. They're also leaders in the uh, integral world, and in the Ukraine and in the world. They're just some of our top integral people. And so there's so much to cover, but maybe we can start from your kind of personal story, what has happened and then move to the larger picture as you see it. And then at the end, we can maybe talk about from an integral perspective, what we can do with that, how we can understand this better and how perhaps we can be more effective and what actions actually we can take. In my experience here in the United States, the whole country is for you. And you guys did an amazing thing. I'll just get a little prelude here, but I didn't think Putin would do it. I thought he might occupy the, the provinces right along the border or something like that. And I woke up and he had done it. He'd come in and my prayer was that your people would fight, you know, that it, they wouldn't just roll over. The Russians come in and wave flags and, and it's uh, the parallels to World War II and Hitler are very easy to draw. And Hitler got the Rhineland. He got Austria. He got Czechoslovakia. And he thought... The Western leaders were soft and would just let him keep going. And then he did a bridge too far. He did Poland. And that started World War II. I think the the resistance and the fighting and the courage from the civilians, from the military, has been an inspiration to the world. And it is showing that a freedom-loving people who are willing to die for that freedom are not easily conquered. You know, I don't know what Putin thought they'd be waving Russian flags as they drove through the streets, but that certainly didn't happen. And it's going on as we speak. So I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're safe. And Vita, I listened to a podcast that you did on Rebel Wisdom yesterday, and it was before the invasion. And you were you were summing up. It was very helpful for that. So maybe uh, you can tell us about your personal experience what happened when the invasion and how you got and what you've seen. And with your, your family, you have six children, correct? Yes, both of us have two, six children for two previous marriages and, and our common. And, and you currently, where are you? Uh, we are in Vilnius, Lithuania, which is my native country. And actually, John, when you, when you introduced me as a Ukrainian, it's an honor, actually, because 
because I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm Lithuanian by, by origin, but uh, I am a proud Ukrainian at the moment because, because the, uh, I lived in Ukraine for the last seven years and I totally associate myself with that country. And, and, and in terms of values, in terms of what this nation is doing, it's, uh, it's a really big honor to, to be part of that, of that world, let's, let's call it this way. And it's an honor to be able to talk to you guys today. So, yeah, why don't you roll with it? What was going on? Were you pretty sure that Putin was going to do this? Was it a predetermined or was it shocking when they finally rolled in? It's hard to answer this question. Actually, we didn't believe uh, that Putin will do it. Let's start from the very beginning. I'd like to bring uh, this personal part of our story. We have quite a unique experience, even in comparison to, to our, our other countrymen. In 2013, uh, Vitas was invited to um, work in Russia, in the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. It's a big um, financial, half financial, half diplomatic institution. And uh, Vitas was uh, the head of the Southern uh, South, South right. Russian district. Right? Head of the resident office in the south of Russia. So it's Rostov on Don, uh, the capital of this region. And uh, Rostov on Don is just 100 kilometers from the eastern border with Ukraine. So what happened is it, we became the witnesses uh, of the first events in 2014. Uh, we were in Kiev when the revolution of dignity started. I was in Kiev because I just gave birth to our son. And Vitas, in early November 2013, started his job in Iberdi in Rostov and Don. And he returned to, um, to Kiev to, to take us um, to, to, to Rostov and Don. And so we were at Maidan. Then we were for one year and a half in Russia. So we witnessed how all this collective consciousness around Crimea, annexation of Crimea, and the beginning of war in the eastern Ukraine, how it unfolded. And that was a very interesting um, path because we were parallelly in two communication spaces. We were, of course, following all the news and uh, in being in touch with our relatives and friends and also following the official Ukrainian channels. And at the same time, we uh, followed and witnessed all the propaganda machine that unfolded around Ukraine and the enemy image that was created and the reasoning that was backing up the annexation of Crimea and um, basically violation of the international law um, and uh, the fact that the uh, Ukrainian uh, integrity wasn't respected. So the, the, there were a lot of work that was done by the media and we were part of this field. So in a way, we, we, we did have this experience on how the mass consciousness is, um, is formed and how Putin operates in terms of the mass media and propaganda machine. And then we, after one week and a half, we moved to Ukraine. And I'd like to add a couple of comments on this, on this part, actually, on, the, on our 2013 and 14 experience, which was the... From, from our point, it was the breaking point in this collective, collective conscious. Of course, the Russian propaganda was active before that, but, but after the Ukrainian revolution of dignity, that Putin 
came into into a very different mode, very aggressive, very kind of well-engineered propaganda machine. And we we looked <clears throat> we looked at it not only speaking and in, you know integral vocabulary. You can look at it in terms of quadrants from at, at those different perspectives, and you can look as it from the from the inside of those quadrants. So we being being in there, uh, we we really looked as and uh, we were subject to the same propaganda. We were dealing with people and very quickly, of course, we were very pro-Ukrainian, but very quickly we became fascists, Nazis, and, and even from people who were well-educated, you know, doctors and teachers and people from whom you would at least expect this, you know, third-person orange worldview. No, no, even... And even those, even like psychologists, everyone was looking at like Ukraine is the Nazi country. And, and if we are pro-Ukrainians, then you are Nazi. So the, then we changed three schools for our children. Because even our children going to primary schools also became, you know, Nazis and fascists. So, so it's, uh, it's terrible, actually. We saw your courageous leader is a, a Jewish Nazi, I suppose, uh, President Zelensky. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a he's a pure Jewish Nazi, yeah. <laughs> and that shows how absurd are those uh, those narratives about about Nazis in in Ukraine. Because you know, no one. Uh, Katerina is a Russian-speaking Ukrainian, and uh, there are lots of Russian-speaking Ukrainians. And Russian language has was has never been I don't know discriminated. discriminated. Never in 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 neither of the regions. N- not in the east, not in the west. You can easily speak uh, Ukraine, Russian in the west of Ukraine in Lviv, and people would either would respond in Russian or would respond in Ukrainian, but without any uh, hesitation and any uh, grudges. Uh, so, I believe it, it was a great uh, mastery what Putin did with mass consciousness, uh, creating a myth, uh, a whole narrative, in order to indoctrinate people into this in- imperialistic uh, direction, uh, inviting, encouraging simple people to protect people uh, in the eastern Ukraine who are Russian speakers, and. Uh, making them believe that without the military actions, uh, they cannot, their identity cannot be protected. This is a real mastery. This is the post-truth world. Well, that, that was that was right out of Hitler's playbook. He did the same thing for the German-speaking people that were in Poland. He said they're being persecuted by the Poles. We have to go rescue our people. And he rolled in. It's the same playbook. And of course, the, the history of World War II Obviously, it's a traumatic experience. 20 million soldiers died just on the Russian side. Of course, Ukraine was a part of that. And it truly was an incredible accomplishment. I mean, sacrifice and courage like the world has seldom seen. And I I know Russians feel, feel proud of that accomplishment. And I think the Ukraine should feel proud about being a part of that and pushing Hitler back. So he's using those deep feelings and the hatred and the trauma of the Nazis and all the, the, the resistant feelings that, that come out of that era and trying to put it on this one. We might add that there's no free press in Russia. I was in Moscow right before the Crimea invasion. And when I was there, the last semi-free news outlet was Vernichtig, as the Germans say. He, he destroyed it. So they don't get 
different, unless it's through the internet or word of mouth. I don't know how the, the truth spreads in authoritarian, totalitarian countries, but I don't know, maybe you could speak to that. But what is, what is the hope there? Yeah, and that's amazing. Actually, I think that, that Putin is not inventing to anything new, actually. He's just using that old playbook. And, 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 and Goebbels, I think, is a huge... A huge figure for him. I think he he deeply respects and and uh, give give a school kind of of of, of propaganda. Uh, and the amazing thing is that, that most of the Russian people still have access to internet and to YouTube and to most of of most of the channels. But but they still kind of get hooked to this central central narrative or central kind of system of narratives. So strongly that they, they 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 become immune to those other perspectives and other other viewpoints. So they just believe that all this Western world is the same, you know, rotten, and they they create their own propaganda. They brainwash the Ukrainians. Our brothers are brainwashed. We need to save them, and and of course, we the only way to save them is by by killing them, basically. And the 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 shocking part for us is that sometimes we. In the first days of war, we still try to communicate with our friends because we have we have plenty, and and including uh, the integral world. Yeah, including the, some some of the practitioners, or, or at least at least at least you know the I don't know how to how to put not experts, but those who are interested in the integral kind of uh, theory and approach, and and even they then they they kind of they said, okay, guys, you are now complaining, but what about those? poor uh, peaceful people in Donbass who were bombed by the bloody Ukrainians for eight years in a row kind of and, uh, come on what what peaceful like, like and, and 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 you you get in such a helpless position when when relatively young educated people who speak English who who get who have access to all types of media they still believe this, uh, this narrative and and it's amazing. I could expect that from you know some seventy or eighty plus person who who was brought up in the Soviet era and 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 in, in Soviet kind of value system with pretty you know lower amber black and white thinking. That would be understandable, but when you hear this from someone thirty-five with the, who has read the number of Ken Wilber's books and, and 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 many others, and and still get hooked to this to this narrative, it's uh, it's amazing. Actually, I think this helplessness is the most emotionally is the most difficult thing because you, you don't know what to do. You you want to appeal to those decent people in Russia and say, guys, what are you doing? You are you are killing the. The, the the people of the nation who you call your brother nation and 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 come on come on and and then you get back all those uh, all those arguments about nazis in ukraine and i say i i live in ukraine for last seven years uh, for katerina it's a it's a it's a home country and and do you believe us you know us do you believe us that we don't see any any single nazi we have never had problems with with the russian language there I said, no, 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 you are, you are brainwashed by those Western, uh, Western media. So we, they, they put the same standards, you know, which they, they understand. Okay, we have corruption in Russia, but the West is also corrupt. So this, you know, black and white uh, attachment of, of, you know, labels. And it's, uh, it's, it's, really, it's really difficult. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that perhaps the Russian soldiers are going to see the reality of the situation and 
are going to go, wait a second, this is not right. Because I've seen, I've seen videos of, of civilians going up to Russian soldiers and going, what are you doing? And they're just like, so I don't know how, if, the, if this narrative will be able to be sustained indefinitely through the actual experience of hundreds of thousands of Russian troops that are in the Ukraine and seeing what's actually going on. Yeah, you know, there are a lot, many, many victims. And uh, uh, in Russia, it is forbidden to speak about the numbers. Basically, nobody knows the truth. That's right. The only way they, people understand the truth is when uh, parents cannot uh, contact their children for, for weeks already. And then they address the committee for, for the, the mothers, basically the, the association that unites mothers of the soldiers. The, 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 it's probably the only institution that uh, can uh, um, have a voice now because mothers cannot just sh shut up. They have to know about their children. And uh, they uh, try to cover it as much as possible. Uh, that, that's what we understand from a few friends that we still have in, in Russia. There are wonderful people who are trying to fight. It's just that they are very, very weak in order to make a real force. They do not have enough strength to have a voice. However, we receive some materials from them. We receive some yeah, information also about what is uh, happening in the field. And uh, it's very sad. Actually, it's an interesting situation because it's like a fight between lie and truth. When we look at the Ukrainian situation and what our Ukrainians are fighting for, somewhere at a very deep level, it's a fight for truth. Because it's like truth and lie in real, incarnated in real people. Because what comes into Ukraine, uh, Russian soldiers indoctrinated thinking that they will be welcomed by the Ukrainians with, as flowers. Sa with flowers, as saviors. They are in the trap of their own myth, you know, and they're coming and getting what they're getting. Because Ukrainians are fighting for, for the truth, for for. Their right for authenticity, for the right for uh, identity, for their land, for our land. For the, the right of being, actually, yeah. because the Putin for is, existential Putin is actually denying the right of for being of the Ukrainian nation. You know, because he's he has created some 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 I don't know some system of of of, of historic. Uh, I don't know narrative narratives yeah that you the ukrainians are not the nation and 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 this is some misunderstanding kind of historical misunderstanding a part of of the russian nation which somehow got identified with some i don't know ukrainian idea and this is such a bullshit excuse my french uh, <laughs> because the Ukrainians are so different. Of course, there's lots, uh, lots of common history and and lo lots of common threads. But but in terms of the mentality, we are so different. Like <laughs> like the main differentiating point is the approach to freedom, yeah. because for the Ukrainians, freedom is everything. Freedom to live 
our own way of life, our own style of life. And there are issues, of course, with that freedom, because, you know, the freedom is always individual. I have freedom and responsibility is always collective. Like, oh, we have to take care of it. But still, the, the, the nation is going through its you know, ladder of maturity and it's dealing with its shadows pretty well, I would say. And then someone comes and denies the right of uh, existence. You know, that's such an absurd. That's why the Ukrainians are fighting so well, because they are motivated. They are ready to, to, to die for this land, for this, for this way of life, uh, for, for this country. Actually, they don't need money. They don't need anything. They, there is oversubscription for those volunteers and, and both army and volunteers, they are denying. There's a joke. Uh, when, when there are queues, you know, lines at these um, transcript, uh, how, how, you, how you call it, the, these points when you, when you come to register that you volunteer for. Yeah, to sign up for the military, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so when you stand in the queue, and there is a siren of the air, air attack. Of, yeah. Again, we have this vocabulary is, is kind of out of my mind. You're doing so, great. Yeah. So those guys, those guys, they are not leaving the queue to hide in the bomb shelters, just not to not to lose their 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 place in the queue. <laughs> well, people are signing up all over the world to go to Ukraine, in Britain, in the United States, and Canada. I've heard. And if I were younger. You know, and I, I was a soldier and I had that choice. I would very probably be there. And and whether, you know, they thought that the Ukraine was a separate nation or had the right to be its own country, the resistance to Putin has birthed that beyond anybody's a shadow of a doubt that this is a country and these people deserve to have their own country and they deserve their have have their own screwed up democracy. You know, we've got a screwed up democracy too. You know, and Churchill said that democracy was the worst form of government, except for all the other ones are even worse. You know, I mean, it's the best that we have right now. And the fact that the resistance is so universal and so courageous, well, it's inspiring the whole world at a time when we didn't have much to be inspired about on the world stage. So Ukraine has become a uniter. And in the beginning in the United States, Trump and a few of the far right wing people, you know, they love Putin because... Well, they want a dictatorship. They don't like democracy either. But even Fox News, some of the pundits there were, you know, this and that about the Ukraine. They had to change their narrative right away because they just, oh, we can't go against this. And so all of a sudden they became very, uh, a very pro-Ukraine. But that was only on the fringe of the right wing. By and large, the support of the United States, of the people here, it's just been overwhelming. And the same thing that I've heard from uh, my friends around the world, it's just... And Europe is united. You know, Germany was trying to play the nice guy and, you know, and da, 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 and which was Putin's games. Let's get, let's do away with NATO. Let's do away with a uh, unified Europe and just weaken everything. And of course, Trump was playing right into that. And I think Biden understands the historical and the strategic and the value of a united Europe and NATO and what, what our roles were there. And I was a soldier. I was, I was in Germany. And this was my big lesson about the Soviet Union. We went to the border. We were near there. It was a Czech border and, and the East German border. And they had tank traps all along the border they had built. But the tank traps were designed not to keep our tanks out, but to keep their tanks in. <laughs> and, oh, really? And that was like all the political indoctrination I needed. And I was like, okay, what we're fighting for, what we're doing here is worth the fight. If they have to put up traps to keep their tanks from trying to bust out, 
the party's not fun over there. And that just constellated in my mind. And why would a Ukrainian want to be under Putin? I mean, why would any sane person want to be governed by this, this malicious and narcissistic, vicious leader where he's, he's, he's crushed the free press, he's crushed the right to assemble, he's crushed, he actually kills opposition leaders or locks them up or poisons them or whatever in different parts of the world. I mean, this guy, I don't know what's good about him. I haven't come up with, you know, not everybody can be completely awful, you know, about Hitler. I said, well, he liked animals. He had nice pictures of dogs. It was somebody who loved dogs. He painted so this guy had some place in that that soul. He must have cared about animals. But I haven't found that with Putin. It's just and and when you get into the dictatorship, just like around Trump, you get into this hall of mirrors where everybody says yes, yes, yes. You're right. Nobody can oppose him or say this. And so he built up in his mind, I suppose. Oh, and, and a matter of fact, there was a an article that got out. And it, it was published the day of the invasion, and it was talking as if it were a fate complete that we just rolled in and liberated this land. This was a new day in the history of Russia and a new day in the history of the world. Everything changed now. And that got released. And I was reading it, the English translation. I organized the translation. Sorry for interrupting. It was me who organized the translation and did the revision of this article. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Well, it got it got hacked. It got taken down when I was about two paragraphs in it. So we need to spread that around. This was the plan. Wow. Thank you. That's that's brilliant. Brilliant. Good for you. I guess that's how you fight lies with the truth. Anyway, so where were you guys when the shooting started? Just for one minute, you, you just were explaining this, your, your view of Putin and compared it with Hitler. I have very, very same view. I can't find anything. And and Katrina, as a, as a professional nonviolent communication trainer, just recently shared that it's, it's really difficult to find any, any humanity, to see any humanity in this man. And then I remembered one very beautiful definition of what is Satan, which we heard from our friend, very famous Ukrainian philosopher, Alexander Filonenko, our close friend, and his definition, demon, and, demon. Uh, demon or Satan, probably yeah. Satan, that Satan is someone who is never in any respect, in any conditions, a gentleman. Someone who is never a gentleman in any respect, in any circumstance, in any, <laughs> any condition. So probably very close to the definition yeah, for Putin. Yeah. So coming back to our story, why, why don't you yeah. start? Yeah. yeah. We were at home. We are... Our home is uh, very close to the Golden Gate and the San Sofia Cathedral. This is just the very center of Kiev, the historical center, the historical center of Kiev. And uh, if you would wish, we can also talk about um, about the these uh, kind of spiritual reasons uh, for why Putin is so interested in Ukraine and especially these parts yes. of Kiev. Yes. Yeah, so we are living just there, and we pray that maybe our home won't be destroyed just because of this Putin's <laughs> passion for uh, the the spiritual historical um, buildings. That not because he is very spiritual, but because this is a part of the imperialistic uh, narrative. 
in order to, for Russia to be great. So we were home and at four, about four o'clock. Uh, no, no, five, earlier. Yeah. Oh, I woke up uh, because of the explosions. I heard the explosions and I, I first stopped to check whether it's really happening. And after three explosions, I woke up to Peters and said, it seems that it started. And then uh, the next, what happened is that um, since we live very close to the um, secret service of Ukraine, the, the, the institution, the building, some things started to happen there that we could see from which we understood that uh, the place where we are is very much in danger. And also the car that was in the in the backyard in the backyard that we shared with with this uh, building uh, it is very much in danger so after about six o'clock we had from four to six o'clock to get together our stuff right so we were quite fortunate in a way we had some time to to think what we wanted to take with us and uh, we got together the, the luggage and, and and left yeah but that's that's something yeah to pause yeah so so can you imagine the situation when you live your normal life you create your home with all that stuff with all that energy with all that charge with emotions and then you need to pack and with the idea to leave and with a very high probability that you will never come back here and you won't won't be able to, to get back to this place and to this stuff and then you need to choose what to take because the space in the car is limited of course you cannot take everything not neither physically nor technically you know and and then it's it's something it's something really emotional i live in a part of the world louisiana that's really getting hit by a lot of hurricanes so we know people we're in northern louisiana but we know we well we a tornado went like 50 meters from our house but we know people have their houses destroyed and everything and, and it's horrible right but this is other human beings. This is not nature. This is maliciousness, which just adds a whole level of pain and trauma, I would imagine. Like this didn't have to happen. Go, go ahead, Peter. And yeah, I wanted to add a couple of words about those explosions, actually. When, when Katya woke me up, I, I just I thought, okay, it was still too charged with this, you know, this uh, mass media flow of, of news about, about the war to be to be started soon. And then I thought, okay, I will open the balcony door and listen to it. And that was something between four and 5 a.m. Very otherwise silent in the in the city, in the very center, I opened it and then I don't hear anything. And then after some time, like a really huge explosion, very far away, as we found out, it was like 30 or 40 kilometers away from us. But it's what's so powerful that not only the the windows were vibrating, but but I had a feeling that the walls are vibrating for that very low frequency. Like, it was so scary. I still feel that that in my body actually. That that tra trauma landed somewhere very deep, and and thankfully we didn't see it close enough. We didn't. Uh, our house was it's not destroyed yet. Thankfully. Uh, but now now our youngest son was actually running through the stairs in my home and Katerina was just reacting. Yeah, I, I contracted and started to cry and I'm a professional psychologist and I am trained uh, also in dealing with trauma and it was the first time in my life when I realized that I have this unconscious reaction uh, because, to 
with no, basically PTSD. Um, because the similar kind of similar similar frequency sound from his you know running through the stairs as that bombing sound you know, it's 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 really scary and, and what are the ages of your children uh, we have uh, our children are part of them are living in Lithuania and uh, part of them are living in, uh, in Ukraine and two of my older children who are 16 and 14 are exchange students in US now so we are very fortunate that at least two of them uh, haven't got these effects of trauma and our little one also an accidental I don't know fortune that uh, he went to a camp together with a small community for democratic education uh, two weeks before, three weeks before, actually, to Egypt. It was a sports camp. And they couldn't leave uh, just because of the signs of the, uh, of, of the war. So we were only two who were fleeing uh, the, the country with yeah. my parents, who actually witnessed the, the fight, the aircraft fight. It was the, just above uh, their heads. The jet fight. The jet fight. They are living in the suburb of Kiev. And fortunately, they managed to leave uh, the very first day because on the second day, uh, or on the third, I don't remember exactly. I think on the second day, the day after we left, the uh, the Ukrainians exploded the bridge uh, to stop the Russian invasion from that direction. And that's, that bridge was vital for them to get to the city. The, the, that was the only, the only way. So if they ha haven't left the, their house on, on the first day, they would have, you know, got... Stuck there, oh, just as many people now. Mm -hmm. And my, my parents are very, how to say, generous, and uh, they they got together a lot of food because they were. My my mom had some dreams. Basically, she had visions, uh, and she was convincing us that we have to leave as early as possible. She she started to have it about two three weeks before the war started, and we didn't believe her. But she convinced my dad to get as much food as possible to the house. So now all the neighbors are actually eating this food and and uh, water and everything that is that is there. Yes. Did you know when 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 the shooting started that you were going to leave? I mean, had you already talked about that? We basically had this this attitude. If I were Ukrainian, I, of course, I would have stayed and and, yeah. and probably joined the territorial defense forces. Mm -hmm. But since mm -hmm. since I'm a, a foreigner, uh, and and we decided that we won't create much value by staying because the more civilians stay, the more kind of problems and responsibilities for the army and for, and for those territorial units. So. So if you can't create much value, we decided that we will create more value being outside at the safe place by communication, by... by I'm coordinating uh, humanitarian aid. And, and volunteering and, and different kinds. So we, we decided that when the war starts, we leave. So so that, that's what happened. But by, by that day, uh, lots of people from Lithuania, from other countries were... Uh, Asking why why the hell you are not leaving? Like why the hell you are staying? And 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 this is so dangerous. And we were just doing our work. We were you know meeting our obligations and and our Ukrainian clients were working with us, not stopping any projects, not putting anything on hold. And even I was about to to sign a new contract on the 
24th with the with the one one very solid corporate client actually can you imagine and they i'm working in leadership development on the 24th they were supposed to sign with me and we were supposed to do the first event on the 25th and can you imagine that nation that the the, the war is almost starting and they're worrying about leadership development and <laughs> that's fantastic so how could we how could we leave yeah there were a lot of signs from the foreign diplomatic missions left starting from the beginning of uh, of february everybody was leaving um like all the important uh, Maybe. missions uh, international organizations uh, and uh, the diplomatic missions we were speaking about it at a daily basis actually whether we leave or stay but we were very committed to make sure that we uh, do our best to stay and be part of uh, regular normal life uh, with our countrymen mm -hmm. and to leave only in case uh, it's it's just absolutely necessary and part of that motivation was coming from you know to show to putin that we are here we are not afraid we are not scared and we are not panicking because i think what what he was dreaming about to to create that panic well in advance so many people leave and there's a chaos and no nothing such was happening actually and even even when the war started and people started to leave there was still no no chaos no no panic people were acting very decently and still mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. and, and how long have you been at your, your current location, your house? So when did you get in? Two days. Two days. On, on, we, it, it on Wednesday us, afternoon, so three days yeah. ago. It took us six days to, to get to, to Lithuania. Yeah, the whole trip took six full days, actually. And that was something. <laughs> we took several, several yeah, nights. Of course, the, the, the roads and even highways were jammed with too many people trying to leave at the same time and all the border crossing points were jammed so we were we left through Slovakia which is the south uh, southwest kind of corner of Ukraine and the the queue or line in the, at the border crossing point was relatively short so it took us 38 hours at that line you were able to get gasoline and petrol yes we were that was not easy because in, at some petrol stations there there were no there was no fuel but at some there were so we we kind of managed and and most of the people managed of course most of the diesel fuel are now directed to the army needs which is which is understandable wow did you take pictures uh, yeah, yeah some we, we did we took some pictures and and what else when i want to say about this this trip that on the second night we brought Katerina's grandmother to her town Vinitsa, which is in uh, in central Ukraine, somewhere southwest from from Kiev. I think three hours drive in, in normal conditions. It took us half a day, and and we left her there. And unfortunately, she's uh, she's eighty six, and she's too old to travel. Her health condition would not allow this this long uh, long and difficult travel. So she decided to stay at at her home, and that that was. Um, very heartbreaking experience because you leave your you know, very um, close person uh, and and Katrina's parents had to to leave her and without knowing will will they be able to see her in the in the nearest future or in general unfortunately so those every i think every family has these kind of stories and and these kind of separations here and and it's it's extremely painful
No, no, I just wanted to mention that we we uh, spent night, we, we were trying to spend the night in Vinica, but uh, we couldn't sleep because of sirens. Again, Sir, sirens. sirens. The, the... Yeah, so basically in most of the cities in eastern and central Ukraine, already the air bombing was uh, was happening. Uh, so we, when hearing the, the sirens uh, twice, we just woke not woke up, we didn't sleep at all, too much adrenaline. But so we, we just uh, decided to leave at four o'clock in the morning and continue our way. Uh, this is to illustrate that the level of tension at the mass consciousness level is, is, very, was, is very high and was very high from the very first day. But friends say that it's changing now, that people are used to these sirens, <laughs> Mm -hmm. that people are used they, to going to the bomb shelters and up homes. Basically, it's becoming a routine. Can you imagine? Yeah, and the sense of fear is changed with the sense of anger and rage. In a sense, it's a more, it's a more healthy <laughs> uh, reaction because you are more mobilized and you are more kind of gathered, not... Uh, yeah, composed. Yeah, more composed. And where are you now? What country are you in? We are in Lithuania. Lithuania, that's what I thought. H have you been able to, to feel the, the Lithuanians, uh, locals? Is there any, what's going on there? There is a lot of care. Um, I think the um, people's uh, availability and willingness to help is uh, like the pro proposition is much higher than the demand for now, because most Ukrainians stop in uh, Poland or Slovakia or Romania these are the main or hungary these are the main uh, countries with with which uh, ukraine has borders when and, and fewer people you know, travel further and there are a lot of people who want to provide uh, shelter and um, food and everything that is needed in the western europe and in baltic states and I highly encourage my friends, for example, to come to Lithuania because Poland is already full and they might have this soon. We know we studied this phenomenon. They might have this refugee fatigue syndrome. So it's very important that Ukrainians take responsibility and take initiative and distribute throughout different European countries. And uh, I, I highly uh, encourage my, our friends to come here. And some of them have already come. And they, they receive a lot of support and care. Basically, it's phenomenal how Europe is united and um, how much foreigners appreciate the effort that is um, now taken by the Ukrainians, both fighters and civilians. Uh, so we, we highly appreciate and we are very thankful to all the care that we receive. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to add that in, in a sense, Putin is a very talented and gifted person because he united Europe in such a way and he united Ukraine in such a way and he united NATO and, and there's a renaissance of NATO. And actually, he's so talented. He's so so good at uniting uh, other people and, and and nations. Even those countries who, who were very you know fond of of Putin or or very very favor 
favorable to to him yeah even those like like germany like hungary italy in some sense french and some they are all finally woke up to the fact who putin is and he what he's up to and and that's uh, that's really good news it, it requires lots of suffering and lots of lives but this these are good news because previously including you know in the integral community on that wonderful european integral conference we would you know debate with many uh, many people from europe uh, the the germans the french and and others and trying to convince what russia is up to and what putin is up to and and they would you know usually say ah you are traumatized by this you know ex soviet uh, past and history and that's not that bad anymore and you probably you are you are stuck with your historical uh, narratives and blah 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 and putin and, needs respect and putin needs respect and he, if he gets enough respect then he will act decently and and all that green stuff and we were like really really helpless oh come on you don't know what he's up to and finally 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 there's i hope there's no oh okay there are few there are still few people who are uh, who are naively expecting anything decent from him but but mostly the the the, the people woke up at least to, to this fact what is this xkgb i don't want to use bad words here mm-hmm. yeah and for me it's, speaking from the integral perspective i don't know maybe it's a brave uh, comment but that's my my perception i think this is uh, the reconnection of um, the the european and uh, the whole western civilization with power so it could be the emergence of second tier consciousness like not emergence but re reinforcement of second tier consciousness because green is too weak green is so you know fluffy muffy flexible and th- that's what we observed when uh, when we were speaking with with people from europe and Yeah it's it's almost impossible for green to deal with red. Yeah, exactly. You know, they just don't have the tools to do it. You know, if you're really nice and treat like maybe be happy, you know, and and uh they tried it with Hitler and we saw how that goes. And of course in referring to to Putin as Hitler, Hitler was very clear what he was going to do. He wrote this little book called Mein Kampf and he laid it all out. And Putin has been very clear what he's going to do. He thinks the dissolution of the Soviet Empire was the worst catastrophe in history in, in, of the 20th century and he wants it all back. Little by little, pressure people put in corrupt leaders that he supports as in Belarus and just the internet. This is a really smart guy. He's using all the tools that he had. the one thing that he can't control is the ukrainian people and their resistance and every day that ukraine holds out and keeps fighting is a defeat for putin you know it's just more and more showing you know where he is really at and it becomes very hard and the word will eventually get out in russia what's going on i mean you can't and of course russia has been used to authoritarian government since most of its history with a few a little bit in in the in the early 1900s and before Putin came to power they were they were working with democracy but people learn how to communicate and the word spreads out and i'm just wondering do you guys have a a feeling of how much more how much longer ukraine can resist as a a unified military opposition 
Or is this going to turn into some kind of guerrilla warfare? Putin's going to have a really hard time occupying the Ukraine if he does achieve his military goals. And one more thing, Ed, do you think all the the pressure, the economic pressure that the West, uh, Europe and the United States is putting on them now is, is helping to change things? And at some point, will the oligarchs who are losing their wealth, how long will they keep supporting this guy? You know, I mean, and, and basically, since there's no there's no other means of getting rid of Putin besides, you know, by force, do you think of any possible, maybe possibility? Yes, just try to uh, since your way into what you see and how this could possibly go, then we'll talk about what you can do about it. Then we'll talk about what I can do about it and what the rest of us can do about it. Yeah, so speak, starting from the sanctions, of course, sanctions uh, help, but they, they should be even more harsh and strict. And you see how, how difficult it is to impose them and, and to agree between the, the Western centers of power. For example, that cutting off uh, Russian banks from SWIFT uh, system, they managed only to to impose it on on seven uh, seven banks so they they easily do do those transfers to others banks still not enough uh, then the western countries are still buying oil from russia which is absurd which is absurd every like and many corporations and and and, and the states you know like shell who i think ukrainian foreign uh, foreign minister just recently asked some top executive of shell doesn't that Russian oil smell with the blood of Ukrainian people? You know, so I think that the embargo on oil and gas purchases should be should be put, and and the the, the Western countries, as painful as as it would be, but still the Western economies can carry this this burden. I believe. Yeah, my understanding so, is that British Petroleum and Shell, among other companies, have have taken their their party in working with the, the Russian oil companies that they left. Have you heard that? Difficult to say. The recent the recent info I heard that that they were still purchasing that oil but maybe maybe something has changed in the very very last kind of days or hours i don't know so so basically that that's extremely important cut putin's powers because he's getting he's, he's financing this uh, all, all his military campaign from that oil money uh, the russian economy as you know is is very unsustainable it's it's built on those natural resources on on selling of oil gas and other natural resources so of course that would be uh, that would be uh, painful and of course he he's denying that sanctions uh, hurt but uh, but they they do hurt because the russians are already starting uh, to panic you know with the, with those uh, the the currency exchange rate rising up very quickly and the limitations for card payments and all that that stuff which is the the direct result of the sanctions so long story short sanctions should be even more strict and imposed very quickly because the the count is in days you know every every day every day counts every day takes lots of lives both on the Ukrainian side and on the Russian side, and those poor young soldiers who are who are dying on the Russian side, they are they don't even know what they are going for. Actually, they are still blinded by by this propaganda. So, speaking about how much more Ukraine can withstand, of course, Ukraine will resist still, basically till the last man until the last drop of blood, but. But uh, being more practical, it all depends from the level of support of the Western countries, not only with the supply of, of ammunition, which is very important, of course, and, and financial support, 
because what is happening now that the World War Three is already ongoing. It's 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 a, I think it's a self deception to deny that, and and to, to it's a self deception to call that a regional uh, regional conflict. I think Russia is challenging the whole world, but but only one country is fighting for for all the Western world, which is Ukraine. And of course, the, the US is resistant to enter in any form. And of course, Ukraine is, is asking for a no-fly zone so that what that NATO jets would start patrolling over uh, the sky over Ukraine. And of course, Putin is directly threatening that he would do that as an intervention and, and, the, and, and the, the war between the US or other, any other NATO member country and Russia. And and of course, there's a there's a very tricky, you know, thin line. But uh, but you, Ukraine needs support. It definitely needs support because the Russian army, not in terms of its mastery, which we saw is is very low, but in terms of the number of people and number of of machinery and tanks and heavy weapons and guns and everything. So it's it's incomparable, and it's very difficult to to fight that that proportion, which. You, the Ukrainians are still doing very in in a very effective way, and that, that's amazing. Is there any Western aid that you know of getting through? Uh, there's a lot of aid is getting through, and of course, the the, the lots of uh, ammunition and tank uh, weapons and, and those NLR and javelin and and other types, which are very very effective and very important. And stinger missiles are wonderful. Yeah, so of course they are. That is getting through, and and of course Ukraine is getting lots of support. But I'm not sure that's uh, that's enough because this this country is fighting war for all other countries. Yeah. I would like to add one more thing, why sanctions are so useful. Uh, just today, we watched a short intervention, a video recording from, from a forum in Siberia. And one of the leaders, uh, basically one of the main oligarchs in Russia, um, who is based in this region, uh, his uh, surname is Deripaska. He was um, mentioning the following. He was saying, I am asked not to say it. However, since I'm invited here, I would like to say a few words. Maybe uh, we have to make some conclusions from what is happening. And maybe we shouldn't coordinate everything with Moscow. Maybe Siberia being a vast region, having its own resources, maybe we should take decisions here upon our resources and our people, because now we all the partners that are left that can cooperate with us could be counted on, on one hand, you know, uh, it, there are very few. So with all these uh, uh, problems that are created uh, up there, are we sure that we, we want to, to follow uh, those instructions from above? Maybe we could create our own autonomy and make decisions for ourselves. So it's a very good sign. It means that Russia could divide itself into mm. smaller pieces, at least economically, but then we will see. But anyway, it will distract attention of Putin to other things, to the internal policies, and that might help a lot. I, I wouldn't be so optimistic about that. I think that, the, the, of course, the oligarchs get, got hurt. They, they are complaining. 
but the problem is they don't have much influence over Putin and Putin has isolated himself. He's living in some bunker in Altai or whatever it is. Well, they sold their souls to Putin in order to have all their wealth. Of course, definitely. And some people, some people say that uh, people who know that Putin is the richest man in the world. And I don't think he got that from his salary as president and had to come from somewhere, right? So, yeah, you have these great wealth, but how much is it, you know, it's going into the hands of very few people. And these people live on a level of wealth that I think the czars didn't have, you know, with their super yachts and their mansions. And, you know, we're not just talking about, we're going super mansions. They're just so few people, the oligarchy is, and they made their deal with Putin. And even then, some of them can't handle it and are starting to rebel. Yeah. And the absurd is, you know, that most of those people in the elite, both political elite and economic elite in Russia, most of their uh, private interests and wealth are accumulated in the Western countries, in the UK, in the US, in, in Switzerland, in many other places in Europe. <laughs> and the funny thing, that I, I think that most of them are very deeply hurt and unhappy by, by what is going on. Because like, all of them, their wives, their children are studying in the British or, or American universities and and the, the wealth is held up over there. And that's that's an absurd because I think that he doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care about those people, about those. I think there are quite a number of people in, in the elite of Russia who would really like to all this thing to stop. I don't think they, they have means. And I don't think they, they can do anything. If you pay attention the, about the length, which is becoming a meme and a, a, an object of jokes, the length of the table that Putin is sitting and with and talking with. with I've seen pictures that's comical. It's very weird. Yeah, 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 it's weird. And even he's talking with his ministers like 20 meters away. All the pictures, they're funny. And one of the versions is that he's not allowing even the closest people to too close. He's keeping distance even with the closest people like his foreign affairs minister and, and, and the minister of defense and others. I don't know what does that mean. Of course, he can mask it under a COVID risk, but otherwise I think he's so afraid that he would be assassinated even by his closest people because those so those who have access to his body you know yeah and of course this was his dream to get the ukraine and if you got the ukraine what hope is there for all the other former parts of the soviet union not much but every day the ukrainians and the ukraine keeps resisting is another day giving hope for people that he can be fought and you know they're not the soviet union the, the russian military is not what it used to be and i've heard that that logistically they're having real problems. They didn't expect to go and find a protracted war. They didn't bring the bullets. They didn't bring the food. They're running out. And, and I heard in, in Belarus, when the troops were there, the troops were actually selling their diesel to get money so they could buy vodka. And so I don't know if this thing is just going to grind to a halt and you're going to be stuck in this unwinnable situation. And do we need to find a way that Putin can save a little bit of face and get him out? Or is just we just need to just, just keep the resistance and uh, fight him to the bitter end? 
That's a very difficult, difficult question because the Russian army is doing so poor job. It's like below any uh, <laughs> any critique. All, all the military experts who are watching all, all this, they're just shocked. They're shocked how poor uh, the Russian army is, is acting, you know, uh, poorly. But the, the problem is that this is a huge humiliation for Putin, huge, and he is not accepting any humiliation. And, and that's... That's frightening because he cannot accept that he lost, you know, his magnificent, you know, mighty Russian army lost to some Nazi, as he as he calls, drug addicts, you know, Ukrainians. So after this kind of humiliation, he would go, he would go further. He would go to his nuclear from threatening, you know, what he's already doing, and that's that's frightening, of course. On the other hand, what choice do we have? What choice? It's it's impossible to appease him. It's impossible to, to calm him down and say, okay, we will give you this and that, and please be quiet. Everybody now understands that you will never be quiet. He's a very, you know, he would go for revenge all, all possible ways. After recovering, after a few years, doesn't matter. So there's no choice anymore i think you you cannot fight you cannot fight red with with green you know with pacifism with appeasement unfortunately we, we we've already got that lesson from you know all the attempts to appease hitler in 1938 and and further on you know and we we all know what happened i agree uh, and it is very personal. Uh, we might be wrong. Uh, and I know experts from all over the world are now pondering whether it would be a good way to uh, somehow let Putin save his face and let's appease him. <laughs> uh, as a Ukrainian, I think this is not the, the proper way. I think that uh, we as Ukrainians are very committed to protect our land, to regain our territorial integrity. And uh, we believe this is the only truth that we want to um, fight for. And in case of compromises, I'm afraid that our leadership might lose um, the faith of, of people. Now everybody is extremely supportive. The president has 90-something percent of uh, Popular support. Pu public support, and everybody is united. In case uh, some, some compromises pop up, I don't know. I'm really afraid because after so much... Um, pain, and pain and suffering and and also anger the productive anger that is now leading the ukrainian nation it's not easy to offer compromises for the sake of saving lives etc etc yeah and you know the russian the russian propaganda story about this what they call a military operation you in ukraine putin is using two two verbs actually denazification and demilitarization and what the world should re reply with is deputinization of the world so that uh, that's yeah. that's extremely important well you know I, I heard recently and i've been thinking about it that there's never been a case where a democracy has invaded another democracy so can you imagine germany invading france at this point or Britain invading Belgium, uh, you know, or the United States invading Canada. You know, it's just like 
at that level and and of course this is this is just a very just a very red dictatorship you can also use other parallels for example britain invading india because it once belonged to india and uh, to britain and then britain invading australia and canada or france invading i don't know algeria or whatever so what what putin is doing he's bringing up all this imperial you know okay ukraine was some time ago a part of our in yeah imperial and that, then we we need to go back here so you can't even imagine all those stories but here it works yeah and and the ukraine had a very important part in bringing in christianity to russia and I don't, I don't think a lot of people in the United States realize, but Putin is a religious man. He converted to Eastern Orthodox, and he's got this wedding of church and state and has put that together in some kind of fascist package that there is a, it's a deeper spiritual and that Moscow is the new Rome and Moscow, has they have the spiritual uh power enlightenment to change the world. And I mean, this is a very, you know, it's a very haughty stuff. I don't know if you hear a lot of that in Russia. Is that what they hear on their on their television stuff? Do they build up this this kind of spiritual vision of Russia? Is this something that Putin is sharing with with everyone? Because apparently, I mean, it's hard to know what's sincere or whether he did that as an order way to organize people. Like uh, Constantine, was he really a devout Christian, or did he just see Christianity as something? to help organize an empire that was beginning to to fall apart and so i i don't it's hard to get inside of his head but he does have that religious aspect i i'm interested do you know if the russians share any of that or were you aware of it in your part of the world or as ukraine realized that he has this kind of strange imperialist christian vision of of what russia is about he's he's using that narrative very strongly and and i think what he's doing is he just he got control of the Russian Orthodox Church, and he's using that for, for his, uh, you know, political plan, and and in a very technical orange way, very technical, very well thought through, and he's basically offering the Russian people that you know idea of we are the sufferers, and the whole Western world is. Um, got the wrong way basically and there you know all the values are rotten they're only about you know the lgbt and other stuff they don't care about anything else they have very very homophobic um, stories running running through even on the official level and and they're they're offering this idea of the only true and and righteous way uh that the Russian Orthodox Church is, is offering and the Russian state is protecting basically and people people get hooked to this people quite they, they're quite uh, I think that what is happening recently at least during the last eight nine years that uh, that the the center of gravity in Russia is still falling down from I would say from from uh, medium amber to to lower amber to very black and white right and wrong way of thinking us versus them us the right ones them even the Ukrainians who basically fought the all all the historical narratives were about the brother nations you know we we together fought the world war ii and, and brought victory and so on and now it's not a problem for the russians to look at the ukrainians as as the enemies and and even to justify the killing of thousands of them so 
So that religious element is playing a huge role in that, I think. Yeah, and it's broader than religious. It's more like Putin uh, creates out of himself an image of someone who protects the traditional values. And there's a lot of... um, going on in the media, uh, a lot of mocking, a lot of uh, uh, jokes about Europe and Europeans. They literally think that all, all people in Europe are gays and all yeah, yeah. Europa, Europa. In, in Russian, Europe is Europa, so they ch- change it to gay Europa. And that there is nothing to think about but racism and uh, um, homophobia and uh, Europeans do not have anything to do just to discuss these things. So that's that's the way the the Western people are um, seen by by the Russians. So whether the Russian Church uh, Orthodox Church plays a big role in it, I think only partly, because Putin uh, presents himself not just a religious man, but also a secular man, just protecting traditional values. There is one uh, one, one chapter on the Russian uh, channel, I think, Kultura, right? Culture, where there is a, a separate, I might, I might be mistaken, I have to check, but I've heard that there's a separate division about Putin protecting traditional values. Oh yeah, there's a there's a section on this website of the ministry of the Ministry of Culture which is dedicated to the Russian values or formation of Russian values or or, or something. Actually, they are having this discourse, uh, and and all those values, of course, are very traditional and very very righteous. Yeah, and of course, you cannot call Putin a spiritual man in any way. So he's just using it cynically and in, in a very you know, technical way just to, to keep that image of the one of the father of the big father or the Tsar who is protected. And the deep religious roots that goes back, you know, thousands of years with Russia, Mother Russia being this, you know, the new Rome and, and you know, the rest of the world is corrupt, West is corrupt, and we're, we have this purity here. So it is, yeah. you know, our destiny to, to liberate the world, you know, as this... And, and that's why a lot of right, alt-right and the Nazis and, and that fringe of American culture are very, very attracted to Putin. And Putin is in his guys over here and, you know, been mixing it up with the, with the far right wing. And, and I couldn't figure it out for a while why, what, what the attraction was. Because it's ob- obviously, I mean, you know, we, give, we talk about democracy and the Constitution and all this, but there is an appeal when you start saying, yeah, we are the guardians of Western values. And everyone else is corrupt. And uh, he's also very racist, you know, so that appeals to the racist part of wherever you are, whether it's the skinheads in Germany or the alt-right in the United States. So those are natural allies, which I think he's really been reaching out and trying to cultivate through using the Internet. And I remember when Trump was running for president and I saw these things on YouTube and I said, this weirdly looks like Soviet propaganda. This is so strange. You know, they couldn't quite do it. Where And it was like, and as it turned out later, yeah, he was. He's, he's using every, every means at his disposal 
You know, I read someplace that the, the economy of Russia is like a $3 trillion economy, where the economy of Europe is United Europe altogether is 27 trillion. And the United States is like 32 trillion. So you put 27 and 32 against three. So yeah, they don't have the economic and military resources to sustain this massive battle. And they're probably running into that right now. And, you know, they have really cool brand new, you know, T-90 tanks or whatever they are, but how many of them are there? You know, there's just a very few. Then the rest of them are just these old tanks. You know, they had a lot of them. It's a battle for the hearts and minds of the world at the same time. And he's, he's playing it for all it's worth. How do we as intricalists, you guys have been in the middle of this experiences. What can we bring in the wisdom that the integral, integral model or the integral, I mean, hard to, to, uh, to put name what it is, this meta way of looking at the world. How can we use that? And how do we proceed from here? And how can we be a source for overcoming what's going and also for healing and coming from a place that is compassionate, yet not green compassion? You know, it has to be strong and it has to be because either he is an eight on the Enneagram, which he probably is, or very six, six. And I think he's probably an eight. And the only thing that that eights, unhealthy eights, or any is the only thing that they, they understand is force. And, and I've worked with clients over the years. God, I always had problems with AIDS until I figured that out. You know, I just had to just confront them and say this and be strong. And when I did that, they, oh, okay. They felt safe. You know, when, when you try it with other other types, it's, it doesn't work at all. Uh, well, so, so giving all that, what do we do? Besides continuing to work on ourselves, I mean, we're going to look to you guys in the integral world to kind of let us know, is, it, is there some way we can unite? Is there some way that we can go through this period of really painful evolution and chaos that we're going through now and come out on the other side? So you can speak to that. I know I covered a whole bunch. What's coming from your heart right now with this? I'd like to start from one big thing. Um, regarding wh why this Ukrainian experience is so inspiring, I believe. Whatever is done could be done out of fear or out of love. And I think that what is happening now in Ukraine, people are fighting out of love. You may notice some of the video recordings, how the Russian soldiers are treated when they are okay. captured. They are treated with great humility. And humor. And humor. So I think this is one of the one of the things that this whole Ukrainian story can contribute. That you can be assertive even if your life is in danger. You can be powerful, assertive, humorous, and you can act out of love and not just fear. So that's the first lesson, I believe. And I think this uh, this whole energy is very second tierish energy. Uh, it is about yellow. It is about uh, the strategist. In I do not want to say that all Ukrainians are strategists in this moment. I just say that this courage, this bravery, this assertiveness is part of this new means that em are emerging. So I think that we have, as integralists, as people who are who have been thinking a lot and analyzing from different perspectives. I would like to re recall this, this four, you know, state, no, not stages, but elements of cleaning up, um, waking up, 
uh, growing up and showing up. So th- this showing up, it needs to be, you know, reflected. How do we show up? It, ne- it needs some, uh, some thoughts. We have to put some thoughts into it. How do we show up? So Ukrainians are just showing up with, but it's not that they have a choice to show up or not to show up. It, we're just fighting for our land. But uh, my um, uh, son, who, who was traveling today from the place where he studies, the school where he studies, to New York, to our relatives, and he uh, made an audio recording saying, listen, everybody who sees my passport expresses appreciation and, uh, and, support. and support. And so what, the, what I would like to emphasize here is look how one nation has opened the hearts of, of, of the whole world. So now comes the question, what should we do with these open hearts? What kind of conversations should we have in order to integrate it, in order to, uh, to foster this care and compassion and put it in some constructive mm, direction so that this new consciousness, this new means and second tier uh, stages would be supported and would create grounds for, for truly new initiatives and action, right action. Yeah, so what I'd like to add uh, to what Katerina just said very, in a very beautiful way, it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a polarity integration between love and power. And that's the beautiful way. I like uh, I like Adam Kahane, if you know. What's his favorite book? The uh, With the Enemy. Uh, you, you can Google. Yeah. So basically... Uh, his TED is, TEDx is called Power and Love. Yeah, something. So, so basically... Adam Kahane. Either, you know, love doesn't work without power and power doesn't work without love. So what, what Ukraine is now doing, pretty much unconsciously, I believe, that they're really integrating power and love in a beautiful way. And what integral lesson could it be for the whole international community is that, unfortunately, uh, yeah, the only only love and only pacifism and only only, uh, diplomacy and negotiations can can bring you to a certain point, but not further. And if if a psychopath dictator like Putin wants to to come to your land and 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 occupy it and kill your people, you, you cannot stop it with any amount of of diplomacy and convincing. You really need to engage in with power, you know, with force. And and I, I absolutely agree with what you say about Enneagram Eight. That both of us actually are also certified practitioners in Enneagram. And when the eight comes together with with red in terms of the levels, you know, and with some very unhealthy and resourceful high energy state of state of consciousness which which you can recognize in putin at the moment so that's a that's a bad bad mixture you know you know and and probably the waking up point for the whole world is that unfortunately force is the only way and you have to be prepared for that and you have to be ready for that you have to be mobilized you have drop you have to drop off all the naivete about it you know get ready to sacrifice some of your comfort of life you know unfortunately that's that's necessary if you want to to sustain this you know way of life this western humanistic uh, democratic uh, system of values that's that's the point so I think we've got a very, very powerful wake-up call as a as a as a Western part of the world generally, 
and now it's a question will it bring us to the to a breakdown or a big breakthrough both both ways are possible i think we can go up we can go down from this moment if if we allow putin to reach his goals and then he will escalate of course he will he will basically heal his wounds he will restore his army he will probably fire all his generals or 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 i don't know maybe he will kill them and then he will rebuild his army after all these lessons and 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 god help us then yeah so he would not stop anywhere so sooner or later we will still come to the point where he will threaten the world with the with his nuclear weapons he is already doing that so i think the the, the sooner we wake up to to this necessity to to use force against him and to to stop him uh yeah the sooner will be will be safe yeah i just want to uh, remind this wonderful quote by martin luther king power without love is reckless and abusive and love without power is sentimental and anemic Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. So the, the book by Adam Kahane is called Power and Love, a Theory and Practice of Social Change. And I would like to express my also gra gratitude and uh, delight uh, to Ben Seganti, our friend, who just yesterday yesterday announced basically i don't know whether he announced but he shared with us the that the new iec in 2022 has a name and the name is world peace with integral approach so i believe all this story uh, around ukraine and around putin and around power and love is bringing us to a new point and new narratives where we can discuss not just different angles and different perspectives and integral map, bring integral thinkers to you know, speak about different topics, but we can focus. And this focus could be the world peace from the integral perspective. And yeah. personally, I celebrate, I think this is a great result already. Yeah, I, and I hope we will approach this topic of peace from really integral perspective, not only from green, which which seems to be, you know, seems that it, it monopolized the, the idea of peace, but it's the only green peace is not enough as we as we see it. And and then then what is the second tier peace? What is the teal or teal version of peace, including which which includes the green, you know, respect and human rights which includes orange you know strong economy and rational way of thinking which includes amber the traditional values and which includes reds as the forces as an army as the ability to be to be strong and to withstand the evil which which the ukrainians are demonstrating at the moment so and also purple is very important definitely attachment and, and connections and definitely and, and the, the sense of community and the magic of and to, to the land to the earth exactly yeah. and the magic of the connection and the definitely so So that's the that's the interesting point so to demonopolize peace from from green and to look at it from the second tier perspective. That's that's extremely exciting. How can you be a, an enlightened warrior, right? I mean, how can you hold the love in your heart and still do what you have to do? 
Unfortunately, we're not in a place where we can lay down our weapons and lay down our swords. And thank God NATO exists as it does exist. God bless NATO. Putin would be rolling, yeah, would be rolling in to, to the rest of Europe. And like I said, when I saw those tank traps and they were to keep their tanks in, I knew that was something we're fighting for, right? Even though, you know, we have our problems with democracy, it's messy, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's our human family. But it, it is worth fighting for and it's worth dying for. And hopefully it will, will the courage and the valor of the Ukraine and the Ukrainian people will wake us up to our deeper values and what really matters. Yeah, not to get drowned in the minutiae and then just the stuff and all that, but we keep our minds and hearts clear and, and we approach the goal and we put our lives on the line if we have. Not that big a deal, right? <laughs> I mean, it is a big deal, but in the end, it's we only have one life to give and might as well do the right thing. So, well, I, I sure hope we can have you back as this thing unfolds. We, we have a whole bunch of conversations we've had with remarkable people, but I think we're going to have to bump you to the front of the line because I think this is really timely and important to get out now. So thank you, everyone, for hanging in here with us. Let's give our support and prayers to the Ukraine do what we can do and support our governments that are supporting the Ukraine. And, uh, you know, also there's a lot of Russians that oppose Putin and oppose this war and thousands were arrested. Okay. And when I went to Moscow some years ago and did a, did a, a workshop, I was blown away by the beauty of the people that were there. I mean, these were deep, soulful, and, and a lot of them were, were gay, you know, and I just said, God, you live, these are such beautiful people and they live in a country that, officially hates them. These guys weren't Putin supporters. There is a large resistance inside of Russia. So may, pray yeah. for those people too, because, you know, in the United States, we, we think it's our right to go out and protest. Russia, when you protest, you're putting your life on the line, your life and your freedom on the line. So there's heroes on that side of it too. Definitely. May it be so, and may, may goodness prevail. And, but it, it's going to, it's going to require us to stand up and do what we can. So Vitas and Katharina, thank you so much for, for being here with us and for sharing perspective. It's absolutely extraordinary. And thank everybody who's watching this. We love you. And let's let's come together in a good way. Support the Ukraine and support democracy and support the continued growth of the human species to become the people that we need to be to prepare a world for our children and their children. Mm-hmm. And for the for the goodbye, we'd like to l- teach you one very important thing. Well, the way the Ukrainians are greeting each other and saying bye to each other is Slava Ukraini, which is glory to Ukraine. And the way you reply is, is Heroem Slava, which is glory to heroes. So Slava Ukraini and glory to heroes. Amen. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, John. Today's episode was brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation Podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.